Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. I'm Joan of Heart. And we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're going to start with gear of the week. Uh, and this is actually kind of a gear of last week. But finally, after month of waiting, Death by Audio has released the Disturbance. You can buy this now. It's awesome. I'm very stoked for this. Yeah, I was pretty excited to not only just get to watch the demo, because I saw it mostly at NAMM, I didn't get to play with it, but the fact that you can kind of fix it in the sweep at like any position was actually pretty unique and wild to me, because like for a flame, you know, a flanger or a phaser to like do that, um, I hadn't actually seen anything that could do that recently. Yeah, so the gist of this pedal for all of those watching it is a tri-mode pedal. It has filter, flanger, and phaser. And you can actually lock the LFO into place at any place. So that is super unique. I mean, I think we've all seen kind of like fixed um, filters. A lot of filter pedals have that. You just kind of sweep across the range or it's like kind of that cocked wah sound. But to have that with a, yeah, to have that with a phaser or a flanger, it's, it's really different because you just think of those two things as always moving. But you can lock in a sound, and it can sound pretty, pretty cool, honestly. So uh, it has a couple things. Like, you can change the center point as well of the LFO as it moves. And you can set a width to go so it only is covering, like, part of that or it's covering a lot of it. So, like, I, you can tell that the team is just like, what do I think I've never seen what have I never? So what have I never seen? What still sounds like musical and cool, but can also be absolutely bonkers? No, definitely. And the when I was basically listening to your demo, and I think there was another one that I listened to. I think Death by Audio had one too that I listened to. And like some of the sounds they were getting, I was like, oh, I could definitely hear like uh, the beginning sequence of like Duran Duran's. Um, was it? When you come undone, that was like that opening, like flanger kind of like sound. Like it, I heard that in the pedal. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of really cool usable sounds. You can get a really nice, sweet, almost chorusy flanger sound. Um, I thought the phaser was really cool. I like phasers. I know you're not a big phaser guy. Yeah, I usually I'm, am not, but hey. <laughs> yeah. I just haven't found the right one yet, perhaps. I'm not saying all phasers are bad. You know, I found some flange that I like, but mm-hmm. never know. I may find the one. Yeah, this is, I think, maybe the third flanger pedal. I, well, at least pedal with flanger I've demoed this year. And I think this is one that people seem to have responded best to. So that, that's exciting. Um, but then again, it had also phaser and filter. You know, filter, I really liked the filter. I thought I was getting some really cool sounds out of it. Um, my only thing is when I have a filter pedal, I, I'm really partial to uh, like an envelope style filter versus just a, a, a constantly moving LFO sort of filter. Yeah, something that reacts more to picking dynamics as opposed to a sweep. Exactly. And I, I just love envelope effects in general. Had an envelope tremolo earlier mm. uh, with the Catalan bread. Um, their, their new tremolo, uh, Tremolo 8, has an envelope one. Uh, the Laughing Man by Book- Bookworm Effects is also an envelope tremolo. And, oh gosh, one of those that Dreadbox tremolo has envelope. But I found that to be fairly finicky. So, you know, it's it's out there. It's a cool effect. 
but we're <laughs> a lot of really cool pedals and inventive stuff. So just I think this pedal from DBA is is a winner. Um, it's not the first of their pedals that's going to end up on one of my boards, and I doubt it's going to be the last. No. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. As I was listening to uh, when playing the rooms, that's still on my list now that I played it, and I was like, yeah, probably at some point, uh, Death by Audio will probably be in my home at some. Point. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And really, really great crew. So thanks again to them for uh, shipping. Well, I guess handing that to me <laughs> to, to demo. I'm really appreciative. Yes. Yeah. They actually handed uh, this to me at NAM, which kind of leads us into our topic for this week. Uh, will many events take money and attention away from NAM? I think most notably, uh, during NAM, like the Saturday of NAM, there was a competing, I guess you'd call it competing, <laughs> um, event that had a bunch of, you know, boutique pedal builders. I don't, I think, I don't know if any of them were also showing at NAM, maybe at the boutique showcase, no. but I can't think of ones that were. So no, instead it, of doing unless, NAM, yeah, sorry. instead of doing NAM, they did their own thing. And I, this is not the first time it's happened. It's the first time it's happened at Nam, essentially, like during it. So basically, uh, piggybacking off of the fact that people are already going to be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But these things have been popping up, uh, like these kinds of events. Smaller ones have been popping up around the country, and it's like really not uncommon for uh, like guitar trade shows have existed forever. But I wonder if the the smaller events are how it's just going to go moving forward i think so and i think it's smart i've heard other people talking that are builders saying yeah you know because some of them went to that saturday you know mark it little pop-up and they're like well we should do that where we are so yeah i think it's probably going to be we're going to start seeing them over the next year or so and i think it actually is a good solution to the time in between you know nam and if people can't go to nam okay what's local like what's going on what can i see what can i experience meeting people community i think it's great yeah i mean these things have to be more affordable for the pedal brands as well everyone knows booth space at nam is expensive as hell uh like just really 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 pricey to the point where like that boutique showcase of boutique pedal showcase is just someone buys a large booth area and then kind of sells that space to to these smaller brands or however that works um and like it's always it's crowded uh nobody can really play anything people are just kind of standing around and like for these boutique brands yeah i mean the idea of nam was to connect brands and the merchants it's the national association of music merchants but as that seems to become frankly less important i mean chase bliss doesn't even sell through distributors anymore um the importance seems to be getting people to buy direct i mean you'll want people to buy direct it's the same kind of idea i think as having like a record like being on a record label where yeah you can just do it yourself and keep all the money but there is some like good that comes out of being in a store and people can go and they can try it and they can buy it and there's a lot to be said for that especially for smaller brands 
No, I agree. And I think in some of these instances where we have these events that are popping up too, in like, let's say, Chase Bliss having their own unique event where people can obviously experience music, talking, connecting with people, and also, you know, trying out pedals while you're actually at the event. So that's, I guess, their unique way in which they're trying to, I guess, connect more with their customers. But yeah, I do agree. There does need to be a presence in, you know, brick and mortar places so that people that can't go to these events can still experience these pedals. Yeah. I mean, obviously more people are going to be able to go to them if they are like local, but I mean, if you're looking at some of these brands, I mean, usually you are paying for somebody to travel to the smaller show. So that's the flight, that's the hotel, that's the setup, that's paying for somebody's meals when they're traveling. Like that's got to add up. I'm not sure at what point that becomes less tenable than Nam itself, but there has it has to be a number. It simply has to. So yeah, but that kind of like... It's not just pedal events either. Um, there are other just events in general, and your listeners are going to hear more about it in this episode. Um, the Fretboard Summit in Chicago is coming up in late August, and uh, I talked to Jason Verlindi about that. He's he runs the Fretboard Journal. It's a great magazine um, and a series of podcasts. Uh, but he and I were talking, and the Fretboard Summit. It is. Like kind of like a mini conference convention. There are tables with builders. There are um, educational events. There are entertainment events. And it's a destination thing. So a bunch of people go to Chicago, spend a weekend, stay where they want to stay, and then go to this um, event during the day. And it is not for merchants per se, but there are merchants there. Uh, so like I'm curious to see where that goes because obviously it's being held in really high regard by like Josh Scott, who was there last year, is going to be there this year hosting an Iron Chef style um, fuzz build off. And again, you'll hear more about that from Jason uh, deeper in this episode. But I, I like the like events aren't easy to put on. I don't know if one event will ever take over Nam. No, and I think NAM is its own entity for, again, like if it was doing merchants, I think it's its own niche right now. I think the evolution of these other shows are also meet their own kind of um, sphere of your community in which they can exist, coexist at the same time perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think, I think it's likely that NAM will just not be as big as it was. Yeah. And smaller brands stop coming because bigger brands aren't coming. Really, there's two ways that could play out the bigger brands not going. It could leave room for a smaller brand to make a huge impression. Or it could just mean smaller brands like, well, if Fender is not going to be there and my, if my if my peers aren't going to be there and like Chase Bliss size or Old Blood Noise size, why why should I be there? Am I getting more benefit from being there when they're not? Or is it just bringing less attention to this part of the industry as a whole? I don't know if there's an answer. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I've heard two different, you know, people basically saying, one was saying, oh, the big people aren't here. Like what, 
you know, it's not as big, like, you know, and then I've heard other people say, hey, you know, it's not as big, but hey, I get to see some vendors or people that I otherwise wouldn't. I'm connecting more with people directly. I mean, there's two sides of it. And yeah, you're going to have people that like it small and you're going to have people saying, well, if the big guys ain't here, then, you know, how, how do I stand out? How do I kind of connect with that? Yeah, I mean, that's one side of it. Press is another side of it. I mean, increasingly, mm -hmm. that was a huge part of, of NAM. is like, can I get someone to write about this product I'm launching? And if brands like Guitar.com aren't sending people to cover it, like they didn't send, I don't think they sent anybody to cover it in um, 2022, then there's nobody there to write about the smaller brands that are doing things either. So if the big if the big media companies, relatively big, let's be honest, big media companies see no point in sending anybody because the big brands aren't going to be there and perhaps bigger distributors or retailers, merchants don't see any reason to go because the big brands aren't there. That's not helping the smaller brands who choose to go. No, no, it's not with that perspective. You know, I agree. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited to go to the Fretboard Summit in Chicago in August. Uh, I've been to the Fretboard Summit before. I actually worked for the company that put on the first couple of uh, summit events. So um, that was, <laughs> I feel really excited to be going and not manning like the registration booth this time and not worrying about <laughs> you get to like. Enjoy. I still have to worry about marketing and capturing content, but uh, just for, for me and nobody, <laughs> nobody leaning over my yeah. shoulder and getting mad because I'm not doing it right. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess the long and short of it is we don't know what's going to happen to Nam if people, if the big brands don't come because it doesn't sound like Fender is going to go back unless there's a compelling reason. And if that causes uh, some sort of like, butterfly effect that goes through and then the medium brands and then the small brands it might just be this kind of disjointed uh weekender kind of situation where a bunch of pedal brands and a couple guitar brands take over a brewery on a saturday from like 10 to 5 and you go and you <laughs> dick around with stuff oh. <laughs> doesn't sound like that doesn't sound too bad no it doesn't sound too bad it sounds like low-key fun and sounds like you're probably going to be more likely to talk to people and and play things so I, yes yeah those things are cool um so really quickly before we get into the next thing that we're going to talk about i just want to shout out our patreon we have a patreon at patreon.com slash get offset for as little as five dollars a month you get access to our exclusive discord server um, and Patreon supporters of all levels uh, are going to have more opportunities to participate in the podcast itself. So we have the $1 level, $5.10. Please consider uh, checking those out if you enjoy the channel. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Oh, yeah. Super Chats. If you're watching this during the premiere, you can drop a Super Chat in the chat. Always appreciate it. Never required. Never expected. Just surprising and delightful. It's a yeah, it's a fun way to for us, fun for us to support uh, the channel. <laughs> if you're watching this later, you can uh, drop uh, like a say thanks below, and those are both on YouTube. Um, if you're listening elsewhere, Patreon's probably the best way. I believe if you're listening on Spotify, there might be a way to 
drop us a couple bucks as well. But uh, your support is always, yeah. always, always appreciated. Um, please like, comment, subscribe, leave a review where you can. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Well, let's talk about some some current events. Currently, you might have noticed uh, the format of the podcast is changing. And if you listen to my six minute or whatever uh, spiel a few weeks ago, yep. you knew you know it's coming. Um, obviously, if you're watching right now, it's not like this huge dynamic change. I don't think. No. No. Just uh, trying to make things go a little bit faster, a little more segmented, not trying to pick one topic and stretch it into 45 minutes. Yeah. No, we're doing it for you. Mm, so I think this is going to work better. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, like in these kind of conversations, when they're short conversations, it could be focused. It can be uh, a little bit more to have a conversation in which we are getting to the point of things rather than, yeah, trying to stretch things on. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Maybe some people do. <laughs> Joe Rogan has lots of listeners, but I am not <laughs> Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about some current events now. Some of these are probably more current than others. Uh, but uh, yeah. So the new format of the podcast is the first thing we want to talk about. Um, Diamond Petals relaunched we knew that was coming yeah and it was nice nice to see that lineup because yeah they were gone for quite a while and didn't know if they're coming back but uh was it solid gold effects pretty mm -hmm. much bought them is what we heard and then in them coming back being in the smaller uh enclosures which is great for saving space on the board yeah people were i don't think expecting that i think most people kind of expected um almost part for part recreations uh, the smaller format, I think it's smart. I think it's generally smart yeah. when you can make something smaller to do so if it doesn't affect the quality at all. No, and that is the important part, like uh, in watching some of the demo stuff and reading some of the stuff on their website. Uh, the memory lane even seems to be, I guess, a little bit alteration from the original, but it's supposed to still hold true. You know, obviously the heart of that sound. Uh, but other than that, I mean, at the prices that they have going for it, I think it's pretty much comparative to what's out there. Yeah, totally. So um, good for Solid Gold Diamond. Still don't know if it was the biggest gear news of last year, <laughs> as, they, <laughs> as they touted, but um, definitely made a splash. So uh, another cool thing is Fender released the Steve Lacey Signature Stratocaster. So he's been taking yes. the world by storm a little bit. Um, it's really cool to see what the new generation of, you know, essentially pop stars who have guitars is looking like. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not really like fast metal shredders or anything. Like Steve Lacey is like, I would call it relatively bedroom pop. I don't know really how uh, to describe When I sound. was listening, kind of sounds like, I guess you kind of describe it as like psychedelic R&D. Oh sense. yeah, yeah. That's 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 good. I saw, I've only really seen him on SNL, and I thought it was good. Uh, I like that one of the selling points was a backplate featuring art by Steve Lacey, and it's just like this weird little goofy doodle yeah. a kindergartner could make. I'm like, that's that's cute. <laughs> I thought it was great too. <laughs> yeah, I think the the burst is is a fine choice. It's just like kind of a 
two-tone burst just nice enough i thought it was interesting on the back though it almost feels like there's a different color like a pinkish tint on the back too it's like it has the three on the front but it looks like there's kind of a pink kind of tint on the back oh it is a tri-colored burst i don't know why i thought it was two it's just like it's a very tight it's called the it's hard yeah it would yeah, with the photos online, it was kind of hard to see. But then when I was looking at videos and they flipped it over and I was like, oh, it, it is oh, definitely kind shit. of like a pinkish. Yeah, it is like, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's more. And that's why that back yeah, plate pops. Yeah. 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 So it's got the, the neck plate is the weird little doodle of a face. And then the um, plate covering the tremolo system, it is mm-hmm. like a green and yellow checkered kind of thing. It's got a signature on it. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting stood out to me was it's got the noiseless pickups and I'm sure it's part of the R&B thing. Uh, the her signature Stratocaster also has noiseless yeah. pickups. The um, American, the I'm sorry, the performer to God, what is that called? The Made in Mexico series that I demoed. Um, um, Player Plus. The Player Plus guitars yeah, the had those noiseless pickups mm-hmm. as well. So it seems like Fender's really pushing those. And I think they sound fine. Like, I have no beef with how, how those sound. Do I think maybe, like, a, a set of Seymour Duncans would sound better? Probably. Yeah. With this uh, with this model, the signature, the, you know, the Player Plus is pretty much what they took the foundation of that to, like, build it off of. So, yeah, the noiseless being in there would make sense. Yeah. And it comes, uh, it's for sale for $1,400. So relatively affordable, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, expensive. A, it's a little cheaper than the Miami Pro when I got it. So yeah, I mean, it's a little yeah. bit cheaper. Not by one, much, but. Um, one thing I find mighty cheesy about this guitar is, and I just always think hmm. that this is cheesy, the, the inlays with the two die dice on the 12th fret yeah and then they're it, it's they're both sixes so that that's a little cute but at the same yeah. time i'm like eh. <laughs> eh. <laughs> not not really my thing but really cool that he's got a, a signature guitar i really think it's great that they're picking some younger artists um obviously it's important to keep younger people interested in playing guitar and signature models with people like her and steve lacy great way to do that yeah. No, I, I agree. And I like the fact that this one has the unique feature of the fuzz circuit built in uh, with a little switch. The extra tone knob is basically like the button that you push in and once you kick in uh, the fuzz knob, which is the other tone knob, you turn it to control, obviously, the volume of the fuzz. And then the other uh, tone knob is actually then switches its function and turns into obviously light or dark for the fuzz circuit when it kicks in. And it's a built-in effect into a Fender guitar. So that I thought that was pretty neat. I fully forgot about the fuzz circuit in it. (laughs) I thought that was the best part about it. Like that that was was like, yes, built-in effects. Yes. Because again, I think Fender. of like when I think of, yeah, you right, right now. <laughs> Send me right now. <laughs> I gotta try it. I gotta try it. Okay, I'm sold. 
<laughs> I fender, I should pitch. <laughs> uh-huh. One thing I'm not sold on was Morley's uh, tribute to Tina Turner, which they have oh, thankfully no. and smartly deleted. You tagged me in that. And first I was like, what the fuck am I looking yes. at? Yes. But obviously, yeah, sorry Tina- for the late night like tag. <laughs> I I didn't even see it till the next day. But Tina Turner sadly passed yeah. away at the age of eighty three in Switzerland. Obviously, she's an icon. Very famously, right, um, was in an abuse in an abusive relationship with Ike Turner, mm-hmm. uh, who you know obviously Ike very important to the history of rock and roll. Absolute piece of shit. Real real d bag. Yeah, Seem like like I've watched interviews with him. It doesn't seem like there was a lot lot of redeeming factors about it. Uh, him as a person, and uh, Morley decides to do some sort of tribute, and it's more like it, it really. Sometimes these tributes come across as how can I make this about me, and they didn't yes. just make it about them. They made it about them and Ike Turner, <laughs> who's been dead for yes, years. I do not. <laughs> Yeah, and to mention it, like, obviously on the death of Tina Turner to bring up her husband, which is obviously a very abusive partner, and to highlight him on her day of passing just seemed very detached, and it really, I don't know, it really, it, it was unsettling. Oh, uh, it was disgusting. Let's just call it, about it was it. really it gross was, yeah. thing to do. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody realized it was a bad idea and deleted yeah, it. Yeah, so they posted it. Like, come on, like, listen. I'm somebody, I'm glad someone screenshotted it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, brands, when someone dies, don't make it about yourself. And like, if you have an actual relationship with that person, sure, like show, showcase that relationship a little bit, like in the tribute, but make it about, about the legend who died. Give them their flowers. Don't like pick them off the grave. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, even like in the quote that they put up on there, it says, you know, it has like the tag for Morley. And then it's like, go to quotation. I called Marv and wanted one of the units. So here comes a driver wearing denims, driving a Rolls Royce. And he picked it up and gave Marv a check. And that was that. As years went by, I saw Ike more and more, especially when we were Morley. And and then, of course, at the end of that, aside from more of their propaganda and showing in the background with the dancers with Tina where their unit was and pointing to it. Then at the very end, the last photo is Tina Turner, R.I.P., of course, with the date like her is the last photo. And I was like, this is just hor- who said this was OK to post? This is horrible. Someone with just like no understanding of how people were going to respond. Like, I don't know how. I like I'm, I don't want to pile on to whoever whoever did this, but this was a bad idea, and I hope you feel a little bit bad about it. I, ho- I hope you don't feel too bad about it, but I hope you at least feel a little bad about it. Just just a bit, just a bit, just a bit. This week's episode of Get Offset is brought to you by Moog Music. Moog instruments continue to inspire artists and listeners around the world. As music technology continues to evolve, the company and its employee owners carry on Bob Moog's devotion to creating innovative tools designed for the musician. 
Moog Music's latest venture is a reimagining of some of its most influential analog instruments of the past for today's audio production workflow. The Moger Foger effects plugins are compatible across all major DAWs on Windows and Mac OS, making the Moog sound more accessible than ever. I use the MF108 Cluster Flux, a flexible processor that can modulate between chorus, flanging, and vibrato in the background track you're listening to right now. I love this effect. It's probably the most used of the plugins uh, for me personally. I even use it in a recent recording project. Learn more about the Mografoger FX plugins by clicking the link in the video or podcast description or by visiting software.mogmusic.com. That's software.moggmusic.com. So thank you again to Moog. Uh, really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Again, please check them out uh, in the you know video description, show notes, wherever you are listening and or watching this. By the way, there's a YouTube version. You. You're listening. Cool. Well, now is kind of oh damn. I stepped on my stepped on my in ears. Uh now is something that we're gonna do. It's kind of new, and it's one of those Patreon perks I was talking about earlier. We are going to do one of these, hopefully every episode, a game. And uh that game is gonna be brought to us by either a friend of the show or a Patreon supporter who is both a friend and a patreon supporter so uh joe are you ready do you have this pulled up i have it pulled up okay so we are going to i'm going to open it open the video and i'm going to hit pause and i'm going to put it on the screen over here <laughs> it's going to take so much more editing than i'm used to all right so is the gist the gist of this game is overrated, underrated. Yes, I sold this from Pitchfork. They can't own it. You can't own that. <laughs> come, come get us. Yeah, just it's overrated or underrated. Maybe and not. Maybe. I think that Pitchfork maybe. as a whole is overrated, and I think that segment that they do on YouTube is underrated. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, let's do three two, one, play. Hi, Emily and Joe. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm Josh, and I was wondering which of these things do you think are overrated or underrated? The first is uh, top jacks on pedals. Some companies put the jacks on the side and others like Earthquaker put the jacks on the top. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? <laughs> top jacks, overrated. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm, I think top jacks are overrated. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. I simply don't. I simply don't care if a pedal has top jacks or side jacks. Half the time, I feel like the pedal itself has top jacks and then the power supply is on the side anyway. So then that's doubly like you talk about top jacks and then you put you put the power supply on the side. Stupid, stupid, like it shouldn't matter that much. So it's already going to be spaced. Another thing, another thing I think is overrated about top jacks is it encourages people to put their pedals way too close together, especially some of those pedals have a small format and then two foot switches. And you're already kind of pushing it with that form, form factor. And then you add top jacks, you squish them close together and you probably have like two pedals in a row that have like tap tempo on the left 
and the bypass on the right that's asking asking for accidents to happen i will die on this hill and i feel like you disagree (laughs) i mean you made all your points they are very valid uh we live in two different you know spheres of gear kind of uh use but i think they're underrated because again um i appreciate being able to get a little bit closer together with the obvious you know um inclination to try to put them all on my board and if i run out of room that's probably a bad situation um (laughs) especially when some are longer than others i wish i had more room i have met the inconvenient aspect of running out of room recently um but i don't mind the jacks being on the side i like them on the top because then it's a little bit more hidden it looks Mm -hmm. a little bit cleaner or neater as opposed to some of the ones that absolutely looks cleaner i'm not going to disagree with that i will if anyone's ever seen me post a board that i put together for a show knows i don't give a shit (laughs) i don't care if it looks really nice and put together (laughs) I threw it together uh, that I guess morning. I, I I guess I guess I have a little bit more of an OCD that kicks in when recently I've had wires because I have pedals like sideways now because of routing and like cables are like over and under and it's driving me fucking nuts like seeing that and I'm like you know that I do sideways <laughs> then you got sideways pedals that have top jacks so that if they were on the side it would be like top and bottom jacks you see you see what I'm saying. If it was on the side, if you had some pedals where it's on the side, I, it's again, like, I just, I, I, I don't care. I just think, like, if the pedal's good, listen, if it's wide like this, top jacks, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, it, it's, but it's probably, it can create the need to make the pedal bigger because you got to fit them in there. I know it's not always a problem, but some of these uh, pedals have a lot going on inside, big circuit boards. And you gotta figure oh, yeah. out how to make them top jacks too. Just make just make the pedal the way it makes sense. <laughs> well, I mean, I I understand that. And yeah, if they could find better ways and larger pedals to do that, hey, great. But in the meantime, all the larger pedals have the top jacks, and then to try to get them in a row, like let let me complicate my own life, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I want to complicate my life, which I historically do, just look at all the you know, animation thing and all that I do, I probably could make a normal demo, but no, I have to be extra and I have to overcomplicate myself and animate them. (laughs) So I like to make myself, I guess, a little complicated. And that goes to the pedals too and my OCD. (laughs) I gotcha. I gotcha. All right, let's uh, hit play and watch the next one. Okay, next thing, overrated or underrated, variable voltage on pedals. My Wampler Pantheon, I can use 9 to 18 volts uh, through the pedal, and they claim that uh, the higher headroom makes it sound clearer. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Uh, You take this one. You start. All right, you take it. All right. Um, I think the 18 volt is overrated. I mean, I I have a MXR... 10 band, I think they can do the 18. I have a earthquake devices tone job that has the, you know, more headroom of being able to do the 18 volt. Um, in trying both of them, I still thought the sound of when they were running at 9 volt was better sounding to me. I really didn't 
find it was oh my god with the 18 and just ran it at the nine simplicity i think is best when it comes to running pedals and then of course when you're introducing different voltages if you don't have a psu that can account for that then obviously yes then you have a whole bunch of different ways in which you have to power your pedal separately and then keep track of that because you don't want to be plugging that into the wrong, yeah. <laughs> wrong pedal so yeah I agree. I think it complicates a, a rig entirely. Yeah. I think it's better and easier to just get the pedal that sounds the way that you want it to sound in the first place. It'd be one thing if it was like a, a switch where you, you put 18 in and then you can, you know, toggle it on to take away or add headroom. But the truth is like, it's only going to do one or the other anyway. Just get the one that you, you want that works the way you want it and sounds the way you want it in the first place. I think it's highly overrated. I've never even done it. <laughs> I've never even tried because my power supplies are all nine. I think I have one or two that can do 12, maybe one that can do 18. I don't, I, I don't care. It's one of those things like just get the pedal that sounds what you want to sound in the first place. What I think is underrated is uh, the believable audio slash 29 pedals, whatever power input where you can plug whatever the hell you want in there within reason. And the pedal is going to work the way <laughs> The way Jesse intended. I almost said the way God intended. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I they're kind of close. In have you ever seen <laughs> with seen making both? pedals? I haven't. Have you I haven't seen, the seen them in the same place. I haven't seen them in the same place either. <laughs> no. We're asking the the hard questions today. So I think that that one is a consensus. We both think they're overrated. And just for everybody listening yeah. or watching, if you're listening on Spotify and disagree. Let us know. Send us a message. You can send us a little voice recording there, too. If you're on YouTube, drop a comment. Tell us, are we wrong? How wrong are we? Be honest. But I think that one is uh, pretty clear. Okay, next. Um, coil splitting on humbuckers. Uh, a lot of guitars that have humbuckers in them, usually there's a knob or a switch that you can flip, and it splits the humbuckers into a single coil. Uh, do you think that's overrated or underrated? I mm -hmm. have several guitars that do this, and I use it with with some frequency. I think it's underrated. I, my thing is, I don't think it ever sounds just like a single coil. I don't. I think it gets close, but not like there's something always kind of like something weird about it that I can't place. But that being said, I think it's great, especially if you don't want to bring multiple guitars to a gig, but you still want to get a couple different sounds. Like I'm a big fan of doing the weirdest wiring stuff ever. That's why I'm such good friends with Sean from Gun Street Wiring. <laughs> Not an ad. <laughs> yep. So uh, yeah, I think it's underrated and I think everybody should play around with stuff. Oh, another cool thing is Seymour Duncan has the hyper switch now. Uh, so you can, uh, it's basically a solderless five-way switch for a guitar. And like, say you have a Strat and you have three uh, humbuckers that are, uh, made for single coil sound like you can split any of those you can put them in and out of phase um, just with like programming it on your phone and then you save on the guitar itself uh, five different presets so instead of like the five position being the bridge uh, it's just whatever you you want it to be so that those are two two cool things that I just think um, everybody should mess with the wiring in their guitars I huge proponent that's actually pretty cool. The fact that it, with the app and everything like really that's cool. 
That's pretty neat. Yeah, no, I'm on the same page as far as it being underrated. I have no arguments to make. I also think that it's really great to have a different sound and it being not exactly like a single coil has that unique characteristic that has that slightly different aspect. And yeah, you're not taking multiple guitars. I've seen bands where they have like a row of guitars like on the stage. And I was like, oh my God, imagine afterwards anyone having to break that down, bring that, things get lost. Like, yeah, I think keep it simple. Yeah, keeping it simple. All right, I think we have time for one more. Three, two, one, play. And finally, uh, do you think this is overrated or underrated? Stainless steel frets on guitars. They claim that, uh, that stainless steel frets will last longer and you won't need to polish or um, level them nearly as often as you do uh, nickel alloy frets, uh, but they seem to be on more expensive guitars. Do you think that kind of feature is overrated or underrated? Joe, do you want to take this one? I really don't have a preference. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've played a guitar with stainless steel frets, but I will tell you it's underrated. Uh, I have a nickel allergy and nickel can yeah. suck it. So oh, that's, that's yeah, a big thing. I, that would be, yes, that would definitely be a thing I would not like either. So yeah, I also have that kind of allergy also. Yeah, for me, it was just like, if it works, great. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a big a deal to me unless it has the nickel. Then then we have a problem. That's not going to be a good day for me. And that's going to go right back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have guitars with, I think pretty sure they all have like a lot of them have nickel frets, uh, fret wire, if not all of them. But like, it, it's not a huge deal. But just like as from a personal standpoint, uh, I, I just don't. If I had a, knew I had an option, I would I would take it <laughs> uh, for sure. Yes. Like if I had Warmoth or somebody building me a neck for a guitar custom, I would have stainless steel frets put in. Like no no question about it. No. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh. That was awesome. Uh, Josh was is fun. a supporter of our Patreon again. Uh, Patreon.com slash get offset if you'd like to get in on the action. Uh, next, we're going to do something a little bit different. Joe is going to leave us, and we are going to be joined, well, I'm going to be joined by Jason Verlindi of the Fretboard Journal for a conversation we had um, earlier this week. Welcome, Jason, from the Fretboard Journal to the newest version of the Get Offset podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, I, I do think it's funny that we're clearly both in Seattle and <laughs> doing this remotely, but... It's easy. It's easy, right? Anytime you want to come by and do one in person, we can. Is it in the same space? <laughs> yes, I'm in the same space. The Fretboard nice. Journal has been in the same space for like a decade. That's awesome because I thought that building was for sale and definitely not it, going to be. It has been for sale. It's changed owners. It's changed management. It's uh, as infuriating as ever, but it's my home. <laughs> hey, at least it hasn't turned to condos. It's true. That's true. That's exactly what Ballard needs. Well, um, I brought you on because I want to talk about something that you're doing that's really cool and that I've actually been a part of before, the Fretboard mm -hmm. Summit. So for everybody, the Fretboard Journal is a great magazine, actual print magazine that comes out, I believe, mm -hmm. quarterly still? It's quarterly, yeah. Yeah. Every few months, a little mini coffee table book shows up in your life yeah it's it's pretty great um i'm 
I've written for it. I've mm -hmm. purchased it before. I think I have the second issue. I bought that when it came out because that was one with Nico Case on the cover, right? That's a collector's item now. Yeah, yeah. that sells for big bucks on eBay. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did just, I told you about my home renovation woes. So yeah, there you go. I'm Start it. flipping magazines. Yeah. Start flipping mag. Of all the things to flip, <laughs> man, normally people just give away stacks of them. Like at a guitar store, you'll just see a big box with a bunch of old issues of acoustic guitar. And mm -hmm. it looks like, well, let me just see which ones of these have songs I want to learn. There is a healthy reseller's market for fretboard journals, which is kind of strange. Uh, <laughs> it's ebbed and flowed. Uh, sometimes yeah. the, the pricing has gotten ridiculous. But yeah, people do horse trade magazines, or at least this one. Do you know which ones are the most valuable? I assume issue one. The first the one is, the, yeah, the first one. And then occasionally you'll get people trying to sell like a complete set, which just seems like a crazy thing of like 65 pounds of magazines or whatever it is, you know, uh, for like a grand. And I think some people have done that. But yeah, the first issues have sold for like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. I don't know. Gosh, can you imagine? I don't keep track. I don't have any. I mean, I have like one. Can you imagine <laughs> buying the full set on eBay and then paying what whatever media mail is and then getting it like four weeks later? No, no. The whole thing, as somebody who deals in shipping like printed products for my living, like the idea of getting a box of all of them at once is just very overwhelming to me. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, the fretboard journal that started in, was it 2016 was the first year or 2015? No, 2005 is when the fretboard journal started. Oh, the fretboard yeah. summit. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, the Fretboard Summit was – so we started the magazine in like 2005, started launching – doing podcasts and stuff. And then in, I think it was 2016 and 17 uh, were the two first uh, attempts at creating this sort of like guitar gathering where anybody could come and meet people from the industry and see some amazing players and hang out and talk to brands. And, and we did that twice with you. At your former employer. And uh, and then we just sort of shelved the idea. It was like a huge, huge undertaking. It was um, frankly not a way to make any money at all. It was sort of a money losing endeavor. Yeah. And it was fun and gratifying. And we had like incredible players, Molly Tuttle, Bill Frizzell, Joe Henry, Blake Mills, like all these incredible people showed up at the first two. But it was really just... Uh, a difficult exercise and, and really hard. And so I had put the whole crazy idea on pause. And then in the middle of the pandemic, the Old Town School of Folk Music reached out to me, which is this incredible institution in Chicago that's been going on for decades and has like two buildings and multiple theaters and a bar inside. And like, it's got all these classrooms. It's, it's a working music school, one of the biggest in the country. So they have dozens of soundproof rooms that are kind of perfect for a guitar hang. And when they approached me and I, you know, as much as I was like, never again, when they approached me and were like, oh yeah, we have all the microphones, all the guitar stands, everything is just here, <laughs> you know, turnkey. We have a stage. You don't have to build a stage from scratch like we did the first two times. Uh, yeah. it, it was an irresistible offer. And so, yeah, we're, we're doing it again this August, it's going to be the third weekend in August in perpetuity, but it's like August 24th to 26th, 2023. That's awesome. I mean, I remember when we did it, it was kind of the, the locations were picked as getaways almost, which <laughs> yeah, is like, yeah. 
I, I, I really get the vibe and I liked the vibe. That was really cool and convenient. Um, but I, I understand that it probably makes more sense to have it in a place that's more turnkey. That probably saves your expenses a lot. And you don't have to like reserve blocks of rooms at Rancho Bernardo yes, Resort that, or whatever. That was, that was the hardest part is like, you know, uh, doing these things on a resort. You know, you start to understand why cruise ships happen, like these cruise ship blues cruises or whatever happen. It's like you you the easiest thing to do is to like think of summer camp and take over a resort the problem is the minute you do that somebody will say well i'd rather stay at the hotel down the street that's cheaper or i'd rather stay at the hotel down the street that's fancier or like you just can't win trying to corral a couple hundred people to stay at the same place yeah. so the beauty of doing this in chicago is like there are $120 a night rooms in Chicago that look perfectly great on Expedia. And there's probably a four season somewhere in Chicago if somebody wants to be a high roller, but like <laughs> you can stay wherever you want and take like a $12 lift ride and get to old town every day and hang out with us from 10 AM to midnight. And it doesn't matter where you stay. And so I like that. Yeah, me too. And I gotta be honest, like the programming this year looks pretty fun. Can you tell me about how yeah. Josh Scott and Robert Keeley and Heather Brown got involved? Because that's what I'm most excited for. <laughs> okay. It's uh, apparently yeah. Josh Scott is doing this Iron Chef style, hosting this Iron Chef style uh, fuzz build off between Robert Keeley and Heather Brown from Heather Brown Electronicals slash godsmom.com. Mm -hmm. so I've, I've talked yeah. to her a lot. So oh, I'm good, like, good. this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we last year, uh, again, like we had shelved this idea. It was our first summit. Uh, and I was just reaching out to people that I admire. I really didn't have a connection with Josh Scott. He's, you know, they've never advertised in our magazine or been on our podcast or anything. I just love what he's up to. So last year we did what was called the nickel wound chef, which was a spoof of the iron chef. And it was two incredible builders building a Stumac parts caster in an hour and cheating wow. was allowed. There was a solder, there were soldering stations. There was all sorts of random tools. And, uh, the, the two competitors last year were Creston Lee of Creston guitars out of Vermont. And then sort of the, the underdog, the, the dark, whatever was, uh, Duncan price. Who's disco BB on, uh, Instagram. and does all the crazy fretless sustaining guitars for Blake Mills and Mason Stoops and stuff. Wow. And, uh, and Duncan is this like incredible, like mad scientist when it comes to guitars. So I knew he would come up with something super cool. And I invited Josh to give a talk at last year's summit, which he did. And it was amazing. And then he was also a judge for the nickel wound chef. And I think he was kind of floored by the quirky, nerdy, fun nature of the fretboard summit. Like he had never, obviously there's not a lot of events like this. There's kind of nothing like this. And he was just like, this is incredible. And to hear him say that, cause he's seen it all was kind of cool. So at the end of what became this like comically silly, um, iron chef competition parts caster build off where, we're going to post a video of it soon. It's taken me forever to edit it down. But like oh, Duncan Price put in a built-in reverb tank on his parts caster that had like a second neck that you could kind of like tap like a diving board and it would give your guitar a reverb. Creston made a baritone uh, that's actually behind me somewhere. Uh, and it was just this like silly amazing hour of programming and Josh was one of the judges. And after it afterwards, he was like, we got to do this for pedals next year. Oh and yeah. I'm like, if you want to take the ball and run with it, you can. And so he's 
emceeing, moderating it. Um, I think they might try to broadcast it live, but I think you're going to want to be there in person, folks. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, he asked Robert Keeley and Heather Brown to be the competitors. Um, I think Joey Landreth is one of the judges. I'm still not sure if Josh is judging or being the Alton Brown in this equation. Like, we'll figure it out. But yeah, there'll be three judges, a host, those two competing. I think Josh has made like a pantry full of capacitors and shells and, you know, pedal shells and everything. But uh, cheating is probably also going to be totally <laughs> allowed like last year because it was just fun to see what people brought from home, like mm -hmm. their secret weapon. And so who knows? Who knows what will happen with this uh, fuzz build off? But yeah, it's called the Germanium Chef and it's Friday morning. <laughs> Uh, 10 a.m. on August 25th. And that's yeah. 10 a.m. Central Time, I assume? <laughs> 10 a.m. Yes. Chicago Time, yeah. yeah. At at the big, th you know, it's, it's funny too because like the Old Town School is this like incredible institution and like Joni Mitchell has played on this stage and all these like legendary folk heroes and then here we are like last year having two guys like soldering and routing out Bob Stumac Partscaster. It was, it was crazy. That sounds, it's, that sounds wild. A spring reverb tank and a guitar. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. There's, there's some clips on our Instagram and, um, that of it. And I, like I said, we'll post the video of it, but yeah, it, it, it had, it needed outboard power. Um, and he also ripped the frets out of it cause he's all about fretless. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and yeah, it was, it was a crazy competition. And then, uh, Joe Glazer, who is uh, one of the like acclaimed guitar repair people out of Nashville, mm -hmm. was one of the judges and they kind of were in a dead heat. And so they ended up calling George Groon and putting him on speakerphone, which was wow. another comic level to this whole equation. <laughs> uh, and, had and had George Groon appraise two guitars that had been built literally minutes prior, Man. Uh, like in front of an audience. So, so who won? <laughs> Do you want me to be a spoiler? I guess I could. Oh, uh, Creston, Creston won. <laughs> Creston won. Well, we never officially announced it, but yeah, oh, Creston really? did win. Yeah. So you're announcing it right now. Creston Lee I, won. You guys have the scoop. I'm sure somebody on Instagram has mentioned it before, but yeah, Creston, after a kind of a dead heat, uh, they decided that that guitar was slightly more practical <laughs> than, than Duncan's creation. But Duncan's creation, by all accounts, was bonkers. Duncan's creation. It's just like <laughs> this Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they both started out as like two Stumac, whatever, the the cheapest offset kit. Like, I think they were on sale for $180. Like, oh, nice. You know, you can, and, and it was amazing to watch both of these guys compete. That's awesome. Well, mm -hmm. that sounds like so much fun. I really can't wait to see what uh, the Fretboard Summit has in store for this year. Uh, for everyone yeah. wondering, I believe tickets are still available. Yeah. Yeah. We have three-day tickets that are like we're calling them all-access tickets that get you into every workshop, the thing we just talked about. Bill Frizzell is going to lead a guitar orchestra that anyone can join. Wow. Like I'm trying to make this fun and like, you're never going to be able to do any of this stuff if you don't come to the summit. Like I want it to be kind of a once in a lifetime thing. So we got Via Mardo, Jeff Parker from Tortoise playing, Tommy Emanuel, Yorma Karkonen, a whole bunch of workshops. And then we've got like a 50 exhibitor luthery showcase where um, you know, the Megan Wells of the world and all the like high, high end people are showcasing their wares. And so it's like 350 bucks for three nights of entertainment and there's a bunch of free beer and a swag bag and 
I think it's an incredible value. We'll see what the world yeah. thinks, but I think it's going to be like summer camp. It's going to be I, fun. That sounds really fun. I'm really looking forward to going. I'm going this year. I know some other great yes. people are going who I probably can't talk about. Trying to convince my husband to come. I think he'd enjoy. The more the merrier. We're going to put you to work. Um, yeah, yeah we're going to have some like live podcast booths too, which is going to be fun for folks who you know in the in the world in the world of guitar media to just be able to broadcast from there. It'll be fun. That's going to be so cool and fun. Um, again, it's the Fretboard Summit. Check the. Uh, show notes slash video description for a ticket link and all of that. And thank you so much, Jason. It's been a great chat. Um, thank you, Emily. I'm a huge yeah. fan. <laughs> that means a lot to me because I, I was I was just doing your marketing for a hot minute. <laughs> so yeah, it's come. It's funny how these things come full circle. But yeah, no, yeah. I love I love seeing what you're up to. Thank you so much, of and course. I really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, it's Jason and the Fretboard Journal. Welcome back, Joan. It's good to have you back for Hello. the <laughs> end of the episode, the first of this new format. Uh, really quickly, thank you to everybody for watching. I really appreciate that. Uh, let us know what you thought of this um, episode, this kind of idea, this new thing that we're doing in the comments. I'd love to get your take on it. I know some of you sent me messages that you were sad that I was changing the format. I hope you don't think anything has changed too severely. Just trying to pack more fun into 45 minutes to an hour so but i know you've got something for me as well as all of the viewers and listeners yes yes i do i scoured the internet and looked for a piece of trivia to leave with everyone today so what i'm asking is before the bigsby what was the mechanical vibrato system in use and what electric guitar was it first installed on? Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, okay. So obviously <laughs> everyone everyone watching and listening can look it up. I really implore you to put your guess in the comments before you look it up. Please. Uh, please do. <laughs> please don't ruin it for, for yourselves. Um, if you're watching on if, or listening on Spotify, I'm going to put a poll and give some options. So you can put your guesses there. I I have some suspicions. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to start giving my guesses. I well, you know, Tunatone has a palm vibra vibrato system. Um, that's kind of, and I know Bigsby's were also kind of based on uh, guitars with floating tail pieces where you could move the the tail piece with your hand and you would push against the the body of the um like the spot between the strings and uh, that tail piece. So my guess is a palm vibrato unit. I'm going to do some more thinking. I have no idea what guitar that would be on, but uh, we're going to have the answer at the end of next week's episode. So everybody tune back in for the official answer. So to everybody out there, as always, please like, comment, subscribe if you dig this. Leave a review on iTunes. Check out our merch. Check it out at podcast.com slash merch. Uh, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash offset. If you're listening to this, you can watch it on YouTube. We have live premiere chats that go with this episode pretty much every Tuesday at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. So check that out. Um, usually Joan and I are both in it, sometimes just one of us. So yeah. um, always <laughs> fun group. I love and, it. Yeah. 
still a couple of minutes to get in your super chat if you're watching during the premiere if not it's <laughs> cool too we appreciate it and i i do always look forward to the uh weekly kind of like live chats and hangs like and it's like hey how's it going like i i love that kind of direct interaction always totally uh real time uh so to everybody out there thanks for watching thanks for understanding until next time my name is emily i'm joan of heart goodbye be seeing you